Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hmm, I'm not getting music here, people. Let's see. We are trying out the new Pro Studio, so let's see if we can get some intro music. Ah, there we go. Hello, everyone. This is the November 14th, 2014 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and sometimes culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's is the philosophy that upholds, uniquely upholds, the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff, and you should be hearing me in much higher sound quality if Blog Talk Radio is right because they are having me try out the new Pro Studio, which is supposed to offer HD sound quality. So I want to ask you guys, hanging out there in the chat room, I see that John and Selfishness and Just Jean are already chiming in there in the chat room. Are you hearing better quality as far as you can tell? Do you have any reference point from last week if you remember what it sounded like? Go ahead and let me know there in the chat room what you're hearing. See a lot of people over here in the chat room. We've got Larry, Levi. Actually, I think Larry is is a newbie. Is that right, Larry? If you want to go ahead and type something there in the comments book, uh, Levi says it sounds louder. Does it sound too loud? Does it sound distorted in any way? Is there something I need to do with my microphone in order to compensate for this new type of connection? This is not Skype. This is something called Direct Connect. They have a an app or a piece of software of some kind and apparently HD sound quality. So, I just Jean, and yes, Bosch Boston is supposed to be joining me here in a minute. In the meantime, if you want to know, oh, Robert NYC says he likes this sound much better. Good to hear, good to hear. Apparently, this is the state of the art that they've been working on for months over here at Blog Talk Radio. So, I'm happy to be trying it out, and it could be perhaps because of you guys, the supporters, that we are being invited to do this because they're calling this the Pro Studio. And uh, a number of you have contributed and enabled us to upgrade our membership here at Blog Talk Radio. So this is really cool. Um, 
Abbott says, took a bit to hear you, but eventually got it. Okay. And and for me, what happened is I tried to play the intro music, and the first time I hit it, it didn't go. I had to do something twice. And I don't know if that was because I was testing the music in the interval before the show. We'll figure it all out. But so far, so far, I think I'm liking it. Uh, go over to my blog. I've got a whole bunch of stories that I want to talk about today over at DontLetItGo.com. You can see the program notes for today's show. I always really try to put them there. Occasionally, I'm kind of running behind, but today I put them up quite early. And what I usually do is I put all the links to the stories that I would like to discuss. You can see it's a rather ambitious list. That's what I get for starting early. I put more in. But anyway, if you do want to chime in on the stories that we talk about today, you can chime in here at Blog Talk Radio in the chat room, or you can call actually call in 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And I'm told that eventually the callers will also be heard in HD, which would be interesting. At least there's the potential up to HD. I guess it depends what way that you're calling in. We'll have to figure that out. Um, Maybe there's going to be a direct connect button for callers on the show page or something. I don't know how exactly that's going to work. But for now, it's just going to be regular old phone calls. So go ahead and call in if you want to. Do remember that if you call in, there's some little prompt that they give you. They'll say something like press 1 if you want to speak to the host or ask a question. And make sure to do that. now, John over here in the chat room says that he's read all of the stories, but about two of them. So he's really studied up. So he is he is ready to go over here. I've got a uh, a couple of disclaimers to share with you. One is horror of horrors for all of you sleep advocates. I had only five and a half hours of sleep last night. Not exactly my fault. The other thing is that I am coming off of having reread 1984, the novel 1984, I've been teaching a law and literature class, and that is one of the books that I've assigned in part because it's been cited in a law and literature reference book as, you know, one of the options that you can cover. But the other is that I had a personal interest in revisiting 1984 to, um, you know, look at the value of privacy, material on the value of privacy, which it is full of, as you may well know, with the omnipresent telescreens and other ways of spying on citizens. But it's a rather sobering book. So I finished that last night. And actually, I had thought I thought that I had not read the entire book. And then when I finished it last night, I realized, oh, I did read the entire book, but probably I just tried to put it out of my mind or had forgotten it. It had been so many years and it's a, it's it is it's a very sobering book. And then you get up and you look at news story after news story after news story, like I've had here. And I think, okay, it is time to revisit the theme of this show, which is "Don't Let It Go." Again, named after the essay written by Ayn Rand called "Don't Let It Go," and it the it refers to the American sense of life, the emotional sense that Americans have of their identity, their place in the universe their relationship vis-a-vis their government, um, their, you know, aptitude to achieve success and all the, and the happiness in their lives. And this is what we want to hold on to. So we want to revisit that, that tonight. One thing I wanted to tell you is that first story under the program notes, 
take a look at that story if you can. Go over my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Here's the headline. Chinese citizens gather in Beijing Square to watch U.S. national debt clock strike $18 trillion. Now, I don't know exactly when either it did turn over to $18 trillion or if it's still about to. I know that on or about now is when it's been uh, threatening to turn to $18 trillion. And so the idea is that the Chinese citizens are gathering there and they're going to have hugs and jubilant cheers and all this. And when I first saw this headline early this morning, I looked at it and I thought it was a serious story. It is, of course, The Onion. But, you know, you think we owe so much of the money to the Chinese, so they're all excited that we're in debt to them. And, of course, they want to be dominant and they want their currency to be the standard. And so this is the kind of day that I had. I started with looking at Chinese citizens gather in Beijing Square to watch U.S. national debt clock strike 18 trillion. And I thought it was a serious story. Just Gene in the chat room is sympathizing. Says, Ugh, I read 1984 for the first time last year. Yes, sobering and really disturbing. Most definitely. Most definitely. But yeah, this this was as well. And so I did a little bit of research. And yes, it is. 18 trillion is going to happen pretty soon. I found another story that was just, I guess, from October, not too long ago. National debt to be 27 trillion in 10 years, says the Congressional Budget Office. 27 trillion in 10 years, if we do not stop spending not like drunken sailors. Again, the old joke is, you know, that they're spending like drunken sail sailors in Washington. And then one guy who was a sailor was quite offended because he said, you know, I was a drunken sailor. And when I ran out of money, I actually stopped spending money, which is not what they do in Washington. They do quantitative expansions and other ways to fool Mother Nature, so to speak. Um then, if you do Google the 18 trillion national debt, which is what I was interested in researching this morning, you find this other story where I guess the blaze is trying to reassure us or something, but their headline is, Boehner McConnell pledged to tackle the $18 trillion national debt. And that was published on November 5th, day after the election. So they are pledging to tackle the debt. And that sounds you know, good for people who don't look further than this, except for that I think McConnell has now twice said that they have no plans to do any sort of a government shutdown, right? Um, how are they going to continue to finance the government without actually having a shutdown on the table as tools that the Republicans can use in order to help tackle this debt, because the only way to tackle this debt is to spend a lot less. The only way to spend less is to get Obama to sign off on some sort of a budget that is going to get them to spend less. Of course, I guess that the GOP could just agree to tax us more. Uh, one of the other things I was reading about today is that we've got the highest federal revenue this year. Um, I think it, it has broken records, the amount of federal revenue. But that means all of that money being taken out of the economy, I think it was $3 trillion this year just taken straight out of the economy. So how they're going to tackle the debt without having any kind of a shutdown. I actually did get one listener who was writing me uh, a message and asked, you know, do they really have to have a shutdown? That's really not a good tool. 
couldn't they go ahead and continue to fund the government? They can just have those continuing resolutions to fund the government. And as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, feel free, again, here in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio or call 760-888-5817. And that's 760-888-5817. As I understand it, a continuing resolution would mean that they agree to fund the government at the existing levels. Maybe there's some sort of a rate of inflation allowed or something, but it's either got to be at or near the existing levels of funding. So in order to do any significant budget cuts, you can't just do a continuing resolution. You'd have to pass a piece of budget legislation and have Obama actually sign the thing. And what we're getting from Obama is that he doesn't seem ready to work with the GOP at all. In fact, maybe he'll just try to fund the government through executive order or something because that's what he's going to do with everything else. So it's um, it's quite sobering. I, I think myself that shutdown strategy seems to work pretty well. I mean, if Obama has anything that he wants to get done, they use that. And in fact, there are now people who agree in terms of shutdown as a strategy is actually viable. If you go to the American Spectator, there's a political hay feature that they have over there written by Jeffrey Jeffrey Lord. And the headline is Ted Cruz wins. The shutdown worked. And we do have Bosch Fossum join us here in the studio. Welcome, Bosch. Your voice? What's wrong with your voice? What's wrong? You lost your voice. So are you going to hold up cue cards for me or you're just going to listen? So no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Everybody's got to tell Bosch that he must speak regardless of whether this is the last time he can ever use his voice in his entire life. He keeps making these motions towards his neck, but you can't hear him. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Anyway. Uh, Jeffrey Lord over at the American Spectator says, Ted Cruz wins, the shutdown worked. And what we certainly know is that the shutdown did not hurt the Republicans. Remember, they kept saying, oh, this shutdown, it's going to ruin the chances of Republicans winning the midterm elections. And I really think that the shutdown probably sealed the victory for the Republicans in the midterm elections. You know, people think, oh, Americans don't want the government to shut. First first of all, a shutdown is not really a complete shutdown. It's a they, they still keep what they call essential services going. But during that time, all the non-essential services don't go. So there were some stories where some people were uh, left in a lurch, like if they wanted to go to a monument that Obama was vindictive and shut down or something. Uh, yeah, then they did have a hard time. But, I, I mean, did you, did the government shutdown impact you very much, Ross? You're you're actually not going to speak? So you're going to sit here and not speak. I don't think that's very helpful. No, that's not good. Not at all. You don't want to interrupt. Oh, See, Bosch is reacting to a recent review that we got over on iTunes. And again, if you are a subscriber or if you listen on iTunes at all, I'd encourage you to go ahead and give us a rating and review over there. It does help get the word out about the show. So if you can spare some time, that's good. We recently got a four-star review 
in which the reviewer complained about Bosch interrupting me, so now you're going to go to the other extreme? You're not going to speak at all? Lost your voice. Come on. Not at all. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're just going to sit there. So you should be in the chat room then, right? You should uh, type some stuff into the chat room, boss. Can you do that? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Tweet me some things, okay? Tweet me some things over on Twitter, Amy Peacock on Twitter, and then I guess I'll read them. But your voice is good, too, for radio. I don't know why. <coughs> yeah, whatever. Um, anyways, let's talk about shutdown. I think shutdown was a tremendous value. It is an instance of Congress actually using the power that the Constitution gives it to be a check in the system of checks and balances. And moreover, what Ted Cruz did, where he was taking a firm stand on Obamacare, and moreover, he went as far as to actually show that he could be the leader of both the House and the Senate in coordinating this shutdown effort and, you know, the fact that he would actually get down on the, on the floor of the Senate for hours and hours and hours. It wasn't exactly a filibuster, but it was a filibuster-like session that he did. He, I think, inspired a lot of people, anybody like us who were just starving for the sign of somebody who stands up for individual rights to at least some extent on principle. He's not 100% perfect. Again, I disagree with him on issues of abortion and gay marriage and somewhat on immigration, I get the sense. Although I agree with him that what Obama is doing right now is lawless. I think we should have open immigration. He says we should have more open immigration, but you know, not fully open immigration. Um, so there's that, the disagreements. But nonetheless, he is the most principled, the most outspoken in Washington. And I think that it is inspiring to see someone like him. There's a tremendous value in the shutdown. Do you agree, boss? Who puts a thumbs up? You have to start speaking now. This this show doesn't work unless we have back and forth. Yeah, but I'm not objective either. You know, because if you call a scum scum, that's not objective. You gotta call them not nice people. Like Harry Reid, you have to call him not nice person instead of the scumbag that he is. That's all. Hmm. Okay. Well, I do think we do have to. Th this show is about back and forth. It's about two different personalities. Well, I mean, one it's thing, I, I definitely interrupt you too much. I know that. But in terms of, you know, it's not objective to call the scum of the earth in Washington the scum of the earth. That's just that's ludicrous. I'll definitely take the person that I interrupt. I'm gonna. I've been trying to not interrupt you, and I won't interrupt you today. I promise. So it's going to be pulling teeth to get the comments out of you. To an extent. No, this is not good. It's bad radio to interrupt, and I don't want to. That's true. That's true. But in terms of calling the scum scum any day of the week, I mean, they deserve it. And that is objective, calling a piece of crap like Harry Reid a piece of crap. One thing that this whole debt issue, and again, I'm talking about this whole issue of the $18 trillion, and Bosch, when you saw that, did you see that headline on social media this morning? The Chinese citizens gather in Beijing Square to watch the U.S. national debt clock strike. I saw it. When you first saw it, did you know for sure that it was I a phony so. story? I think I, I, I must have seen the uh, onions almost simultaneously. Okay. And if I didn't, who knows? I um, mean, what what do you think? For a split second, sometimes the onion, I got to go far outside reality. And this time, they didn't go that far. 
because you think about it, I said, well, would they be doing that? Maybe they would. It's a feather in their cap. Maybe it's something more celebrating. It's possible. I mean, most of the debt is owed to them, or a huge fraction of the debt is owed to them. So maybe they think, or maybe they they think it means that our currency is going to go away as the world standard, and theirs is going to mm-hmm. take over. I mean, there's there's a number of reasons. Point is, I saw that this morning, and for a couple seconds, I believed it, and then I saw the onion, and I said, "Oh, okay." It's and and so you know this idea where we just they just keep spending and spending and spending as if there's going to be some graceful way out of it yeah. that doesn't involve abject slavery or inflation where you know it's going to be kind of like Weimar Germany before the Nazis took over. I mean this is horrible, yeah. right? And they just keep doing it totally. Divorced from reality, they think I don't know that they can somehow make us so wealthy that that money's not going to mean anything anymore. I don't understand. I mean, it's not like a mortgage, right? Because the interest rate that this is building up, I assume, is much more than the typical mortgage today. Um, I mean, if they do, they inflate away the currency. Then I guess that's going to be one way to try to do it. But then they have to actually stop spending. They have to pay this down. And I don't see them doing it anytime soon. And so they're just treating us as if we are their servants. You know, they, they periodically people do calculations and it's, you know, each person has, I think, 400 and some odd thousand of this or, you know, how yeah, I think each taxpayer has that and then each person has 50 some odd thousand. It is nuts. It is nuts the amount of debt that they're putting on our shoulders without any regard for us as as individual human beings. So this is something that is completely opposed to the American sense of life. The American sense of life, the individual is respected. In Citizens are not, quote, subjects. Instead, the people in Washington work for us and protect our rights. That's what they're supposed to be doing. But this idea of just racking up a debt year after year after year, oblivious to the effect Every person in this country is born already 50,000 in debt or whatever it is. It's it's insane. So that is uh, one thing. Now, the other thing that has been going on this week that is, I mean, I think the outrage about it shows the American sense of life is alive and well. But the person, uh, you know, at whom people are outraged is somebody completely opposed to the American sense of life. And, of course, I am talking about Gruber, the Obama architect who is being caught on film time after time after time. How many videos are out there now, Bosch? About six. Six different videos. Six different videos. And what is the most outrageous comment that you've heard on the videos so far? The fact that uh, lack of transparency is a politically great, a great thing to have and that the American people are stupid. And what does he mean by stupid that we're stupid? think that we couldn't recognize what they were trying to do, even though that they were trying to hide it. I think, I mean, there's a number of ways you can look at it, but I'm not exactly, I mean, he's a piece of crap, so it's tough to go around his mind, tough to figure him out. But I think he thinks we fooled you, idiots, and we got away with it. And he feels uh, the freedom to cackle about it now, publicly. He's been doing this for the last few years. And there was an individual who lost his insurance 
Mark Levin was relaying it the other day, and he mm-hmm. went in his basement and he he watched tons of videos. He says, "I want to find out who the rats were behind this bill." Right. So he found the guy's name, the architect, and he started watching videos. And he's the one who started to release these videos. An individual, not an investigative reporter, not someone decent in the news. Nobody. This individual, this citizen, this citizen journalist did what they didn't do and blew the story. It's a big story. I mean, it's, it's gone all over, except, of course, the, the mainstream media, the scum media. Now, what I, I think he must mean by his, you know, people are too stupid, et cetera, is that if we were intelligent, like he is, of course, then we would realize that Obamacare, which is, of course, a major step towards socialized medicine, is wonderful, the best thing in the world that we could be doing, of course, from a moral perspective, right? Not from any sort of a prosperity perspective, but that it is, it's the right thing to do. But it's only our stupidity that keeps us thinking that, yeah, oh, you know, we, we shouldn't socialize it and that we would reject it if we really knew what they were up to. So he's basically saying, well, we are deceiving you for your own good. It's a noble lie, so to speak. Um, you know, we have to lie to you in order for you to keep us in office, continue to support us, and thereby do the right thing because Obamacare is, of course, the right thing. There's no question. The one video that I saw, but I can't even play the clip here, um, I'm, I think I saw one of the earlier ones, too, where he had said, you know, we're all too stupid or whatever, and they asked, therefore transparency is out. Someone here mentions, isn't it a little suspicious that this Goober group person just openly talked about this on camera. No. He felt the coast was clear. They got Obamacare. Once in. it was passed. He felt that and they also and they also think that, you know, in order for it to be repealed it has to be a two thirds. But given that the Supreme Court upheld it as a tax, it might be able to be, you know, repealed in so called reconciliation, yeah. the fifty one percent votes, et cetera. So that would be great. Yes? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And and this is what Levin's talking about actively pretty much every day? Yeah, but that's what also what uh, Bitch McConnell talked about. And he won't do it. You know, he's, he needed to I say I thought the that. latest was that he said he would. Well, he keeps going back and forth. So I don't know. He was on uh, Cavuto. He said, no, no, we need 61 votes. And then, no, no, we could do that. And then, uh, yeah, I promise do that. And I don't know. And then him and Rand Paul had a joint conference, and they were basically talking around the idea. Maybe we wouldn't, we shouldn't touch that. He's he will say whatever he needs to say in the moment that he has to say it when there's a camera in his face. I, I so would, I don't believe he's going to try to do anything. I think he'll be pushed since he's not a leader. He'll have Ted Cruz's mothers pushing him to do things he doesn't want to do because they're not leaders. It, the default leader will be Ted Cruz and some mothers, and they'll have to do it. Roman over here in the chat room is saying that they're still settling on what they will do when they roll in in January. I say because they were so deceptive in the way that they passed this thing that they, you know, I always I always hate, again, Republicans, they employ altruism as not only a principle that's embodied in legislation because both the Democrats and the Republicans have put plenty of altruism into their legislation, the idea that your moral duty is to sacrifice yourself to other people. The politicians in, in both parties have been for the last several decades, couple decades at least, happy to enforce sacrifice. 
they're happy to do this. But moreover, the Republicans have this unique knack for, quote, being above whatever that is political tactics the Democrats are using. So Democrats were dirty, dirty, dirty when they passed Obamacare. But, oh, no, Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell, they're not going to go for reconciliation as a way to repeal Obamacare, even though there is a great political argument for doing so a legal argument for doing so based on John Roberts, not our John Roberts here in the chat room, by the way, but the John Roberts on the Supreme Court, we blame him for throwing that through as a tax. It wasn't supposed to be a tax. But if it's a tax, if it's, you know, a piece of monetary legislation, then go ahead, get rid of it in reconciliation. I, I think that's great. The other thing that I like is that, you know, the fact that they put in this piece of legislation the requirement that only state-run exchanges would offer subsidies to the people who signed up. So this was supposed to be a part of the legislation that got the states to participate in Obamacare because it was offering the subsidies to only those people who signed up through a state-run exchange. And it turns out many, many exchanges are run by the feds and all of these subsidies have been given to people signed up and they weren't supposed to be according to the wording of the legislation. I would be perfectly happy to see the legislation fall like that. And I think it's perfectly fair given, again, the lack of transparency, the, the tricks that they played in, in trying to get this legislation passed. You know, this idea that, they, oh, they're going to be holier than thou, so to speak, in terms of political strategy, they, they are converting altruism, self-sacrifice, into a political strategy. What do you think, Bob? Yep. Yeah? What are you doing? You're pulling out a piece of paper and? And? So tell me what you think. Oh, about your drawing? Okay, so he's actually drawing the infidel as we speak. This is the Infidel 3. And what is it that you're drawing? Oh, you're putting cowboy hats. That's cute. I like it. No, you have to be in a semi disguise area. So you have a comfortable. You're not going to be okay. Normally. Anyway. I have to... We should cover up all Infidel drawings while the show is on so you cannot be distracted. That's true. It is true. It is true. So. Um, let me see here. Oh, yeah. So, so Gruber, right? And this is the thing oh. about Gruber. We don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Comment on Gruber. Nothing. Go on. We're on Gruber. Go ahead. Nothing. Just in terms of, um, you got to get dirty. You got to play hardball. Uh, they committed crimes, the Democrat Party, in the last uh, House and uh, Senate. And you got to go back and play hard and say, okay, that's what that's the rules you had. Okay, this is the rules we're going to play by. And of course they won't. They won't do it because they're vested. They have a vested interest in being the "quote unquote" good guys, meaning the suckers, right? The Republicans. Yeah. They're the suckers, and they like that. They like being the suckers. Like we'll play fair against a scum. And yeah, the American people will pay for it, but we can, in good conscience, say, well, "I'm a nice guy," and that's what's important. Right. They'll be on the tombstone. I was a nice guy. That's it. I've got this article that you sent me. Obamacare architect apologizes for remarks on the law's passage. Well, he didn't really apologize. 
he said something like he misspoke. That was That's not an apology. Of course not. And he kept doing it again and again and again. This is NPR, so NPR is going to characterize it as an apology. And apology for what? For what? He said that, quote, the stupidity of the American voter was critical in getting the law to pass. Well, he did say that. And why apologize for what? He means that. He believes that. He apologized because he got caught like a rat. Right. He got caught. Exactly. He's like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. And some people not... some people have taken these videos down when they were discovered, right? Yes, uh, the actual university. Right. The university took it down. It's like, why Why take it down? Because it's damning, that's why. And it woke up uh, a, a good amount of the American people. And things like this, they don't realize these have major effects. It goes on again and again and again. This is an entire week. Right. Of a story and major, you know, like Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin, millions of listeners, millions upon millions of listeners. And, you know, they, they say that the, the mainstream media is avoiding it. Well, they have no, no audience, so it doesn't matter if they play it or not. When Rush plays it, when Levin plays it, it has impact. Yes. And that's the good thing about it. Now, why would you, if just put it in your own words, why would you say that people are mad about this? Because it's just another proof that we've been deceived, that, that uh, they had to lie to get this crime voice on us. They had to lie. And the arrogance of it. It's the and arrogance. The, and the laughter. Imagine behind the scenes with him and Obama. I mean, we know now that, you know, it's literally he was on video saying, well, Obama, we were talking about this. He know Obama knew who this guy was. He knows the guy's character. He knows he's a weasel. He knows he's a rat. And our president worked with him. They conspired together. And so did Mitt Romney, for the record. Mitt Romney, this is his guy. Yes. This is and, and give NPR well. some credit here because it says video services this well, week like Jonathan, that. an MIT economist well, who also helped create Romney yeah, Care in no, Massachusetts. No, don't give him credit. They want to bring Romney down. They want to bring that. Like, mm. it's not just Obama. It's, you know, so he's a MIT economist, right? This guy, Jonathan Grover? <laughs> a MIT economist. Or I like a, it. Or an MIT economist. <laughs> he's, a, he's a MIT economist. And uh, I said, you know, Something about, what, what was it? I said, if, if you can't stand this guy, well, Romney can. Romney worked with this guy. This guy's a snake. He's a rat weasel. And Romney care was in part built by this guy. This is the nature of who Romney is. And that's why we haven't heard a peep from Romney. Romney has been a big mouth the last few weeks, but the election, he tried to take credit. What, what, and what, last week, nothing. Zero. What, what's the guy's name who went and got... Uh... Lois Lerner recently on video trying to... Jason Matera. Yeah. He, he should go after Romney on this. I don't know if that he would. would. Be the I think I, it would, that would be, be great. It would be great, but I don't know if he would. I think he exclusively goes after Democrats. I think so. And anybody who's got a video camera, do a Jason Matera style. I would love for Jason Matera to go after Boehner and McConnell and uh, Romney on this. Romney needs to pay for this. You know, Romney has to be exposed and knocked out of the 2016 possible race. Just He's not the guy. He can never be the guy. And Mark Lynn was saying something about the fact that Romney might jump in 2016 if the candidate is not right, meaning if it's Ted Cruz, because they can't have a Ted Cruz. You know, they don't benefit from that. Uh, the the gravy train will stop right. with with right. Ted Cruz. They can't have that. So no, no. So let's let's go back to to Gruber and his obvious contempt for the average American. This is something that people have really really reacted to anybody again who has a healthy American sense of life within them who believes that they are not subjects of the government, that they are not lower in any way, that we are capable of 
criticizing our politicians, that our politicians are not any better than us. They're just people who have happened to choose a particular line of work, namely being, you know, politicians. And of course, being a politician, especially at the federal level, was supposed to be only a part-time job. Not a career. As envisioned in our family. No, no. no. Um, and, And certainly you weren't supposed to have people like this guy being a, quote, architect Listen to that term. Architect. The poison, the, the poisoning of that term, architect, a builder. I'm, I'm trying to think. Ar- architect. Ar- yeah, I was gonna say architect isn't the right word. It is. What is the word? I guess engineer would be better, but engineer still sounds too neutral or positive. Whoever Concoctor. it is, somebody, somebody who designs a nuclear weapon, who builds a nuclear weapon. What do you call that person? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to call him, not architect. Architect is something to destroy. It. A building, some, something that's but this idea also, a good, a positive I think more people look at this, and it's not, you know, we know that this guy was in bed with our government, with Obama, with, and this is the nature of the guy. This is the nature of the conversations he probably had with Obama. These idiots aren't going to vote for us, and uh, don't worry about that. Just, just, just fool them. Get over them. Get past them. We well, know that. And, and listen to this. It's not just contempt for the American people. It's apparently contempt for the well, CEO, yes. yeah, the Congressional yes. Budget uh, yes. Office. This is a quote from Gruber in the original video, the one that's now been taken down. Quote, this bill was written in a tortured way to make sure CBO did not score the mandate as taxes, he said. Continuing the quote, lack of transparency is a huge political advantage. And basically call it the stupidity of the American voter or whatever. But basically that was really, really critical to getting the thing to pass, end quote. And for the record, he said this with a slight little smile. Who's very excited? Speaks very fast, like he's a cokehead or something. You know, Obama took blow. He said His maybe him and Obama. High pitched, high pitched yeah. very fast, very manic. Looks like a sick guy. And uh, we know that this guy was having those kind of conversations with Obama, with his whole gang, right. and they wanted to force this on us, and it worked. Enough for any re- reason besides the fact that they just jammed it down our throats and they forced it on us. You're, you're right about this apology being a non-apology. It says in an interview with MSNBC yeah, on Tuesday, Gruber apologized, saying he had been, quote, speaking off the cuff. He did it again and again and again and again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, if you said it one time and never again, you could say, okay, well, it was just off the cuff. But he did it over yeah. and over and over. We have a call. I'm going to go ahead and take it now. Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Debbie. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing better now that we're venting about all this stuff. But like I said, it was a pretty rough kind of, again, rereading 1984 and then going into these sorts of stories. Yikes. Yeah, it it is. But, you know, it it makes me glad when the truth comes out because I kind of put this in the category of when Snowden released all this information backing up the, uh, proving that the, NA, the NSA had been spying on us. And right. it substantiates what we already kind of think we know or what we already suspect, but it's really like a hard data point out there now. And it's a lot harder to evade something like that, that that's that concretely real and out there, than it is to just sort of evade people a suspicion, and you know, it's easier to look the other way when you don't have something this brazen in people's face. And so 
in that way, I look at it as in a positive, uh, in a positive way because it's, it's an instance of the truth coming out. I mean, it's a really ugly truth, and it makes me very angry. But it, it's going to um, help just in um, helping people to see the truth about this these rats that are running the government right now. And um, right, I mean, he, he it, sounds it, like it. I was going to say, it, it might be the case that somebody who wasn't really convinced that Obamacare was an underhanded, nihilist piece of legislation would be more convinced after having heard Gruber and, and how they were intentionally deceptive. Anybody who values honesty is going to be offended by this. Anybody who believes that they should not be lied to as American citizens is going to be offended by this. And because we already know that Obamacare itself is an evil piece of legislation, we think that's a great thing. Yeah, and, and he's gloating about it. And it reminds me of a criminal who's, who, who kind of snickers about the fact that they got away with robbing a bank or something and says, oh, only right. suckers work. Look at those suckers going to work and, you know, taking crap from their bosses or whatever the case may be. But all I, all I had to do was smash this... Uh, Smash open the safe and run away with my bag of money, and all oh, those guys are such suckers. Cause they, you know, it it sounds like that to me. He just sounds like a criminal. Well, and it's even worse when you add this other component of the story, which is that he really did run away with a bag of money. Well, at least a bag of money for some of us. Some of us do think that what we're going to say right here is a bag of money. There's a hot air story. Did you see this one? This is the Washington Post fact check. And it says, yes, that Gruber got $400,000 for his work on Obamacare. $400,000. Uh, yeah, you know, I actually, I heard part of Rush Limbaugh this morning, and he was saying that that's not accurate, that it's actually a lot more, that he actually made that millions. more than that, okay. okay. Yeah, he actually made millions. The 400000 was like one grant or one lump sum out of many. Um, that's what Limbaugh was saying. I didn't hear what re a source cited for that, so I don't know how to substantiate it, but at least that's what he was saying. Well, this was posted 9.21 a.m. today on Hot Air by Ed Morrissey, and then they talk about in 2009, the Health and Human Services Department signed him to a contract to provide micro-stimulation model for four months at $95,000 for four months. Then there was an eight-month contract for 297000 which brings the total known value of almost $400,000. Yeah, well, it's bad, but if that's all it is, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot more than a lot of people see, at least they'll love some ever in their life. That's, uh, that's yeah. just appalling. I, and he's just gloating about it and spitting in everyone's face the whole, the whole way to the bank. Well, and then the other thing is that a lot of the work that he did was apparently stuff that he'd already done before because he has been on record saying how similar this piece of legislation is to Romney Care. Isn't that right, Bosch? Yeah. Yeah. So he probably just copied off of the work that he did before. It's like, you know, and, and sometimes students will do this. They will have written a paper for one class. And then they just kind of yeah. repurpose the paper and turn it into another class. Um, yep. You know, they, sometimes you've seen people do that. But, I mean, he could have very well gotten paid handsomely by Romney and then turn around and use 
a lot of the same work and gotten $400,000 for it from us, the American taxpayer. It's part of the $18 trillion. Uh, do you know, by the way, I don't know exactly when the $18 trillion is. I guess I should just look up the national debt clock and see where we are, right? I think there's something you can Google yeah, for I that. Don't know. Yeah, if you Google that, there's there's like a real-time clock that you can get that shows it kind of like incrementing up every millisecond or whatever. I'm not sure what the time increment is, but it just it's just sort of a, a runaway number that increases. I'm, really. I'm about to get the official number right now. We are at seventeen trillion nine hundred thirty-one billion. Five hundred seventy-two million and eighty-four, ninety, ninety-eight hundred, and whatever thousand. Can you imagine? Okay, as I'm speaking here, it went from like sixty some odd thousand as the last several digits to one hundred sixty thousand just in the time I was just speaking right now. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It's just I don't know if they could burn money that fast. I, I don't even know how physically possible to spend money that fast. I mean, if you if you told me if you told me, Amy, you have to spend money as quick as the national government. Basically, what I'd have to do, I guess, is I'd have to go to Beverly Hills and just walk up and down and say, okay, I'll take that house and then that house, and then I could spend it as fast as the government seems to be spending it as I'm watching this clock. Well, the problem is that you still got the wealth then. It's just changed from cash into houses. I think you kind of have to think more along the lines of, like, Joker in uh, The Dark Knight with his big pile <laughs> that he just doused with gasoline and set on fire. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you'd have to be burning some of it while spending some of it because that's really what's going on. Some of this money that they are racking up does actually go back into the economy, but some of it is just gone. Yes? Certainly the 400000 that went to Jonathan Gruber, uh, well, that actually, that would have been better if it had just been burnt uh, than if it had gotten to him. But, uh, yeah, a lot of it's going to people like that, and, um, yeah, that definitely makes me angry. So do you have hope for Obamacare getting out of our lives anytime soon? I, I do have some. I, I think that this... Uh, the Supreme Court case, it could be good. This is so blatant. I mean, it's just so clear, the language. But, um, like, I, I posted on Facebook that my concern is that, that the opposite could happen, that they could find some kind of intellectual gymnastics to get, to argue, to rationalize, allowing it to stay. And then my concern is that that would sort of set a precedent that they're sanctioning this idea of an executive just ignoring the language of the law. And well, and then and then we're in the realm. I, you know, again, go back to 1984. Um, did you read 1984? No, I saw the movie. That's uh, I haven't actually read the book. But if you saw the movie, then you probably know enough. And there was this idea of double think. So the idea of holding two contradictory concepts in your mind at the same time. So, I mean, why shouldn't it be, if you have DoubleThink, that they can write a piece of legislation, specify that only the state exchanges are eligible for the subsidies, 
and nonetheless give it through the federal exchanges and have that upheld in the court of law. I mean, we would be in the realm of doublethink, of newspeak, of all of the manipulation and perversion of language that's in 1984 that is truly, truly chilling stuff. Um, you know, I, you know, John Yu, and I, I posted this uh, again at my blog at don'tletitgo.com under the program notes for today's show, and I also posted it out on social media. John Yu has this piece at National Review, and he says there's four reasons that the Supreme Court is likely to rule against the Obama administration in Burwell. And again, if if they do rule against the administration in this case, that would mean that all of those subsidies that are going through the federal exchanges, those are invalid. And from what I understand, that is a huge piece of the puzzle that those subsidies come through those exchanges to the people. Otherwise, I think uh, not nearly enough people would be enrolled in the insurance and a lot of the companies would go broke and any of the cost estimates are kaplooey and everything would be messed up. So some people think that this would collapse Obamacare if the Supreme Court ruled properly in this case. So the first reason he says is, of course, the plain text of the statute. It denies subsidies to people who live in states without an exchange. So if you live in a state that doesn't have an exchange, you're not supposed to be getting the uh, subsidy. And isn't it true that somebody is on tape saying that they did that on purpose because they wanted to encourage the governors to get on board, right? I don't know. I have, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, who knows what, what they really were trying to do here. Um, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, though. Didn't you say that, Bosch? That you would, yeah. Oh, that good. Yeah, I think I think Bosch had said that he saw that, and I don't know if it was Gruber himself. Um, then the other thing is there's no split in the circuits at all. The lower courts seem to accept the Obama administration's misreading of the law. So the idea is that if the Supreme Court also accepted the Obama administration's misreading of its own law, then maybe the court wouldn't even take up the case. Now, the other possibility, of course, is that the court wants to take up the case and say, well, we don't like the way that you did double-think and newspeak lower courts. We're going to give you the double-think newspeak that we think is going to be the most plausible for the long term. And, you know, they'll just jump on the Gruber bandwagon and say we're all too stupid to read a piece of legislation. Um, that would be horrible. Um, but, you know, I think the more naive possibility... And the optimistic possibility that you is talking about here is that the court would never have taken up the case if they didn't intend to do something different than what all these other courts have been doing unanimously, right? Why not just leave it alone if you're the Supreme Court? Um, and then the other thing is Chief Justice Roberts might want to atone for his error in upholding Obamacare as a valid use of the taxing clause. Um, who knows? They might. And then it says the court will be acting in agreement with rather than against majority wishes in this case. And so he's giving credence to the fact that Obamacare is still an unpopular piece of legislation as part of it. So he's optimistic. I would like to be optimistic with John Yu. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would too. I think the most compelling of those arguments is the one about the lower court. Um, okay. Because it just from a practical standpoint, it, I mean, 
you'd know better about this than I would, but it wouldn't, if they agreed with the lower court, they could just leave it alone, and right? And then since it's not divided, they don't, uh, do they have really any reason to take up the case if it's, the rulings are not divided uh, other than if their intention is to possibly rule the other way? Exactly. I mean, that would be the most obvious reason, but then the other reason, like I said, would be that the lower courts, they are fudging language, like I'll get out. Is that the phrase? I'm, I'm you know, being tired here. But, you know, they're, they're really fudging the language. They're twisting and contorting language in order to rule with the Obama administration on this case. And so the Supreme Court might say, okay, you know, you guys are poor amateurs at contorting language. Let us show you how to do it in a way that is plausible that we can actually get away with. Now, that is, that's the cynical interpretation. That's the interpretation after you've had, like, a bottle of Jack Daniels or something and you're really depressed. Oh, yeah, I understand I what you're saying. So, so it might just be that they want to try and, like, make it look like a more plausible cover somehow for them to rubber stamp it and maybe right. make it a little bit less dishonest. Yeah, I guess right. that's possible. I uh, I hope you is right. Um, one thing he said, though, that, that sounded a little Pollyanna-ish was uh, don't discount the possibility that the justices want to do the right thing. Exactly. Or something like that. And, and I thought, really? Why would I not discount that? And besides, it depends on what your idea of right is. If they're altruistic, then their idea of doing the right thing might be just to hell with the Constitution. People need health care. So it kind of hinges on that whole idea and then also on their integrity to do what they believe to be right, which uh, may or may not coincide with what is right in reality. Well, so, and and the the whole idea of of you know everybody should have health care that was something that was thrown out here again this week. Who was the guy, Bosch, that you were showing me the video on Fox News, the real jerky Democrat who was defending Gruber, and and he was saying basically if if you are against Obamacare or if you are criticizing this guy, you are therefore against health insurance for people. You don't want people to have health insurance, right? Angus something, um, Angus. Something I forgot his name, but he's a quote unquote independent. He's a leftist. He's Democrat. He votes with Democrats, but he wants to still maintain that because that's probably the only way he can get elected in this part of the country. But yeah, he did say that. Yeah. So if you're against Obamacare, you're against health insurance. Over here in the chat room at Block Talk Radio, Agnes King, Roman Rights, Agnes um, King, Angus King. Angus King is the guy who was there. Yeah. Okay. No, the politician. The politician. who was it over here? Oh, it was Rob. Rob says that Tammy Bruce just tweeted that Democrats are now saying Obamacare needs to be repealed. It's one, oh, one, it's one Democrat. One Democrat now, I remember seeing Washington that Trump. headline. I remember seeing that headline. One Democrat has said that Obamacare needs to be repealed. And you said that the reason that he wants it repealed is not a good reason. Isn't that right? This guy, this is the first time I heard of this. Oh, that's the first yeah. time you heard of it. Maybe okay. someone else. Maybe okay. did something. From what I understand, the reason that he wants to have it repealed is something like it's not socialist enough. Well, no. Well, oh. the only criticism Obama has been getting from from the left, like uh, Matt Damon, is that he's not leftist enough. Right. 
and you know he doesn't realize idiot that Obama cannot be as nakedly leftist as he'd like him to be, or else he would be truly impeached because the Republicans would have no choice. So Obama still wants to have a slight veneer of being a non-leftist at times. Oh, it's the disastrous rollout that was the problem. Oh, come on. It's unprincipled. It's personal. He lost yeah. his insurance. It's objective. It's not unprincipled. And he didn't like the results in the midterm elections. They you know got what? they got slapped down. That's crap. Yeah. Not, not exactly. Also, like like John Roberts to be redeemed, you can't do what he did and be redeemable. The way I see it, you can't do that. Well, and even if this collapses and they're going to be forced to do at least a partial repeal, try to try to get it completely undone. The tentacles are in already to a large extent, and a lot of the Democrats. They're greedily rubbing their hands and smiling and saying, well, at least we got some of it in place. And one of the articles that I put over here on don'tletitgo.com, and I meant to get it here. Gosh, I wonder where it is. I wonder if it got um, – oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is. Um, it's under the John U. piece, the four reasons Supreme Court's likely to rule against Obama administration. I have another one that was from the New York Times called Law in the Raw. And this is a woman's opinion piece. She, I guess, is kind of actually thinking the Supreme Court might destroy Obamacare in that Burwell ruling. She says, uh, nearly a week has gone by since the Supreme Court's unexpected decision to enlist in the latest effort to destroy the Affordable Care Act. And the shock remains unabated. This is Bush versus Gore all over again, one friend said, as they've struggled to absorb the news, etc., and, um, you know, the idea is that basically this is going to be a horrible injustice, um, that it's going to, what, be done on some kind of weird technicality. Um, she, she says, you know, why did they have to do that? There's no urgency, no crisis of governments, not even a potential one. It's just a politically manufactured argument over how to interpret several sections of the Affordable Care Act. A politically manufactured argument about how to actually, you know, read the word state, apparently. Wow. I mean, as I understand it, they put that in there because they wanted to push the states into having these exchanges. So if they put that in there, if the legislation is supposed to live by that, then it should die by that as well, yes? Absolutely. I mean, that's just ridiculous. These people, this is the same group of people that they'll like to say something like, oh, that's just semantics. You have to give them an unanswerable argument. Or if you think of Clinton saying, well, that depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. And, I mean, this is just ridiculous just to, just to throw away the whole language of the law like that and say that it doesn't matter and it's politically manufactured. But yeah, if you, you look if at you it, insist that words mean things, if you insist that words mean things, it's just a political bias. Yeah, exactly, and it kind of is because the Democrat Party seems to be more and more against that sort of thing, like just logic and objectivity. Just uh, and instead, they seem to want to just do whatever they feel like, and if you're not letting them do that, then it's some kind of a politically manufactured personal vendetta against them, and. You know, I think that if you look at it from the perspective of this Gruber, the whole point of the language of the law is in terms of precisely how things are worded and so on. Maybe right. to them, 
just the purpose of it is to get the law passed so they can do what they really want to do. So to them, I, I don't know how seriously they take things like that, like the specific language of the law. They probably don't. No. And and some of but some of the language again and some of the provisions were heavily bargained over, and they again may have calculated well if we put this in there and say that only the state exchange enrollees are going to get these subsidies, then of course all the state governments are going to want to participate because they're going to want their citizens to be happy with them for participating and getting them the subsidies. I mean everybody wants goodies, and uh, and that was it. But of course in States like South Carolina and stuff, they refused outright. And I thought that was a wonderful thing. Um, so who, who knows exactly? I, obviously, the woman at the New York Times is worried that the court is going to either severely cripple or obliterate Obamacare with this. But listen to this. You know, one of the big things that Obamacare did was expand Medicaid. And I remember for a while on the show, we were tracking, you know, the hundreds of thousands that were being added all the time onto the expanded Medicaid rolls. And Wall Street Journal has a story, I think it was just today. I'm trying to actually get the story to to load up here and it's not doing it on my computer. I'm going to curse at my computer. No, I'm not going to. Um, The headline is, How Health Health Laws Medicaid Enrollees Strain the System. And it says many low-income Americans have gained coverage, but their numbers strain some healthcare systems. And this was published yesterday. Farmington, New Mexico. It says New Mexico's decision to expand Medicaid has been a lifesaver for Kevin Gibson, some guy who's got health insurance, but a conundrum for his nurse practitioner. The 46-year-old Gibson this year got coverage under the plan, went for a checkup, and learned that he had prostate cancer. Before 2014, Medicaid rules wouldn't have considered him needy enough for eligibility, but the expansion tied to the federal health overhaul made him eligible, and last month they paid for robotic surgery to treat his cancer. That means we all paid for it. Uh, His nurse practitioner, the surge of Medicare enrollees like him creates new opportunities, but at the same time, the plan uh, pays for less than private insurance. So the plan for Medicaid pays less than private insurance pays. So his visits paid about $80 compared with $160 for a patient with private insurance. So they go on to talk about the burden. And those people are already there. They are in the system. So what are they going to do? They're going to say, well, we repeal Obamacare, and therefore all of you guys are now kicked off Medicaid? Well, that's what they should do. But, um, yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine that a Republican having the backbone to do that. Right. Right. I mean, this is this is the yeah. concern. This is this is the worry. One damning thing, if you don't mind, uh, about the Republicans as well. Um, a tweet I said, you see the gutless Republican leadership. All existing leaders were reelected unanimously with no exceptions. And that damns the GOP at large. I mean, at large, how the hell can Boehner and McConnell and McCarthy and the other, you know, rats maintain their power because of the other Republicans who vote them in? For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. That's their chosen leadership. And it damns them. Definitely. It definitely does. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. This, this 
whole thing with Obamacare and particularly the Gruber, you know, again, fits right in where they're just treating us as stupid subjects, the people that they have to take care of, that all we want is handouts. And this is not the American way. The American way is people want to achieve. They want to earn their own way. They want to believe that they are the equals of their politicians, that they are capable of criticizing them. They're, you know, justified in criticizing them. And this this entire Gruber story is completely anathema to anybody who, who believes in the American sense of life, which is why I think people are so outraged about it. And it's why the media doesn't care about it because they don't share it. They think these politicians, I guess, walk on water or something. Either that or they just uh, kind of recognize them as being of the same breed as they are. I, I mean, I don't quite know how to say it, but I think they're the same, kind of cut from the same cloth. The media types who don't want to expose this type of thing and the politicians themselves who they kind of cover for. And I think they don't want to expose it because they know they'd be exposing something that indicates their own character. Um, they they see it as, the, and they don't want to confront that fact about themselves, that they're the same type of person and that, that they're, you know, their soul is, is very much like that of this Gruber, and he's just a little bit less um, inhibited about expressing it. He he, and other people as well in some of these videos, though one video that I watched over at Hot Air was one in which they were, I guess, having a hearing, some sort of meeting in which they were considering criticisms of the proposed legislation when it was proposed, and somebody had, I guess, written a criticism and listed all the negative consequences that would come from Obamacare. And they were true. Again, go to Hot Air and you can watch this video. But what happened was the guy who was reading it, he wasn't the one who was actually making the criticisms. He was reading it. Somebody else had written this up. And he was reading it with contempt and laughing halfway through it. And then Gruber... What he said, and he's quoted in, in Hot Air, but it's hard to hear, so I don't play the audio clip here, but he says um, he says something like, oh, that's an adolescent criticism. So, so whoever it is who's actually pointing out the real-world consequences of this destructive piece of legislation, you're just an adolescent. And, and again, this completely violates the idea of the American sense of life because here is somebody saying, Look at the unjust consequences that are going to come. Look at the destructive consequences. We, the American people, do not deserve this. And the person who wrote this is somebody who's at least somewhat of an idealist, who has retained, you know, I, I don't think calling somebody adolescent is always bad, right? Because adolescents still have their youthful idealism. They still believe that being treated justly is possible, success and achievement, they aspire. And, you know, when you dismiss, it's the criticism of Ayn Rand when they say, oh, yeah, you know, they read it and they liked it when they were young, but then they grew out of it. It's like, no, sorry, you gave up your ideals. You relinquished your ideals. So when, you know, Gruber calls these criticisms adolescent and it was a laundry list of real consequences that would come from as a result of Obamacare, he's basically criticizing somebody who stands up against injustice and who retains idealism, you know, in, in 
actually points out the truth in the face of this monstrosity. And they're just laughing at this person with contempt, the whole room of them. It's disgusting. Yeah, it really is. I, I totally agree that it is a virtue to be able to, actually a real accomplishment, I think, to be able to hang on to that way of, of taking ideas seriously and um, having that idealistic way of looking at the world past you and, and to be in that way like an adolescent. These, these people are definitely, it sort of goes back to this idea of Gruber being um, sort of like a, a criminal thing. Oh, look at the suckers, those suckers who work and, and maybe also those suckers who take ideas seriously. Look at those, all oh, that poor fool. He doesn't know, he's not grown up enough to know that there's no whatever, uh, there's no right or wrong, or ideas don't matter, whatever it is that he thinks. Uh, yeah, it's um, Any, anything more on the, I was going to say anything more on Gruber and Obamacare before we go on to some other topics. Uh, Bosch, did you have something to say? Well, they committed fraud. Mm-hmm. And can this guy be dragged into Congress? And be accused of that? Didn't one of the Republicans talk about he that? He said we might. That's that's crap. I don't want. Don't any, talk might. Yeah. Don't don't ever tell. Drag his ass it, into court. Yeah. Accuse him of being a fraud, of committing fraud against American people, and who knows what other crimes? Him and his whole gang. They committed crimes against us, and they can't be allowed to get away with it. And it's always the point we have to tell ourselves if if the Republicans were men, if they were good, if they, it's not the point. It doesn't matter what they are. Their job is to do this. It doesn't matter what they are. You know I mean, yeah. we, we, we don't have to rely on, on their courage. That's their job, despite whatever they are. That's their damn job. Drag his ass into Congress and start this process of making this guy pay. Right. Him and his whole gang. Now, you were saying that the person who uncovered this video of Gruber initially was yes, an individual. An individual. What a I'm citizen. hoping, and, and this is what's happening now, and I, I talked about this, I believe, last week or the week before. I heard at le- of at least one university in which they are going to discontinue entirely offering any PPOs, preferred provider, whatever they call them, um, and all, only offer HMOs for the employees. So otherwise you're going to be kicked out and you have to go buy your own plan. And maybe when the you know the faculty who are living in their own world at universities across the country because I'm sure this is not the only university at which this is happening, right? Faculty across the country, they're going to be losing their PPO plans. If they're smart, they enroll in these PPOs. They're going to lose them. Maybe then they're going to realize, hmm, I wonder why I shouldn't have supported Obamacare. I'm losing my insurance now. Maybe when it finally hits them, are they going to wake up? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but on on another topic, Debbie, I just saw this story today, so I just figured I'd throw it out there, and I don't know whether this is going to happen or not. It is just like our government to say, oh, we're going to do something that might make you mad on Saturday. But this was the headline over at the Wall Street Journal. It is... Ebola patient may head to United States Saturday from Sierra Leone. Now, why do it on Saturday? Yeah, obviously, because they don't want people to 
be paying attention to the news. That's probably like the lowest level of news consumption on that day. Right. So, yeah, that's uh, that is pretty dirty. So apparently, what do we get out of this? What do we get out of this guy coming to to this country? Uh, I'm not sure exactly what we think we're supposed to be getting. We're supposed to get Ebola. Yeah, somebody is supposed to get it, I guess. He is a senior surgeon at the Connaught Hospital in Freetown in Sierra Leone, I guess. He is a Sierra Leone national, but he has a U.S. green card. Gee, I wonder how he got the U.S. green card. Do you think they gave him the U.S. green card just so that they could send him here and that they could say in the Wall Street Journal article that he has a U.S. green card? So we're supposed to say, oh, well, he's got a green card, so that's fine that they're flying him over here, even though he's a Sierra Leone national. What do you think? Yeah, uh, sounds pretty plausible, because otherwise it seems like he would have already been in the U.S. Right. Isn't that how the immigration process usually works? You come here first, and then you get a green card? Well, I mean, maybe he's been here sometimes in the past. Well, he's really green. He's so green he's not even here yet. (laughs) (laughs) You're bad. Um, University of Nebraska Medical Center said Thursday night, that an unidentified patient who contracted Ebola in Sierra Leone would be evaluated by a medical crew for possible evacuation to its biocontainment unit in Omaha. So if people want to protest, they can go protest at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. Nice. Isn't that that wonderful? Oh, boy. I thought we were finally getting it really under control. I mean, because the nurses who got it, they're better. So, do, is there anyone in the U.S. right now that has it? I don't. I don't think so. No. The, I mean, I think you know they were like, oh, we don't have anybody in the U.S. who has it. Let's fly one over. Yay! Um, they're not even clear whether this man got it while he was working. Um, he may have gotten it in some other way. But you know, if he's got his green green card, then we're not supposed to worry about it. Remember, everybody was saying, well, you know, should we bring non non citizens over? And so I was very suspicious when I see. Here in the Wall Street Journal, they say, oh, well, yeah, he's a Sierra Leone national, but he's got his green card, so everybody should just uh, calm down. But here, Debbie, I don't know, are you still able to hang on for a bit? Because I have a question on the next kind of phase that I want to go into in the show, and and I will see what you think of this, right? We won the election last week, right? Anybody who is anti-destruction, anti-the nihilist, Democrats. We want to stop them in their tracks. That was a victory that we had last week. But there are reasons not to necessarily be so excited about it, like the low voter turnout. And New York Times, for example, has an article saying that this was the worst voter turnout in 72 years. Why would they report that, though, in New York Times? Well, they want to say, oh, you know, wasn't that? But I mean, it's not like they're going to lie about it. Well, they would lie. And I'd like to double check that number. Uh, New York's turnout was a shameful 28.8%, the fourth lowest in the country. Overall, the national turnout was 36.3%, so a little bit over one-third. Well, it was enough to kick the Democrats out. It was enough to kick the Democrats out, but what I'm saying is, I mean, we could look at it two ways, right? The glass half full or a third full well, or New, whatever. New York Times needs to do this because they need to diminish the election somehow, some way. Right. They need to. That's their purpose. They have to. If Democrats won the same election this way, they would never have printed this story. Of course ever. not. Of course not. So it's it's propaganda again. 
Now, technically speaking, yeah. But again, it was enough to kick the rats out. True. True. And that to me, I don't care about how much I really don't care in this day and age where we are right now. Kick oh, Harry no. Reid I mean, out. Kick the power take, out. Take what we can get. Definitely take what we can get. But in terms of being too optimistic about what's going to happen in 2016, we really can't is, is only my point. Well, yeah, looking at John Boehner and McConnell, yeah, it's terrifying because the fact is they're not going to do anything worthwhile. They're not going to do anything with their power right. or anything good. Right. And, and and this election, I mean, we did see that a bunch of people who were turning out were evidencing, you know, that evincing, in, in effect, they were demonstrating their American sense of life, that they are rebelling against this would-be, in effect, dictator. I mean, he's going to do as much as he can by executive order in the next couple of years. And the American people, I agree with Limbaugh, they are counting on, you know, the Republicans stopping him in some way or at least slowing him down. That, that's the idea. Again, there are no leaders in, in leadership, so that's why Ted Cruz and right. others can force these guys to do things they don't want to do. One more thing about this also. When they cite this, right, this low voter turnout, the Democrats came even a lot lower than the Republicans then because they lost. There weren't enough Democrats to go out there and make a difference right. for their own party. And so do they mention that in there? No, I mean obviously the the turnout, well, but they but they were saying I think the Democrat turnout was particularly low. Yeah, particularly so they're, low. So, the, so they're saying in effect that well, you know, they nobody was excited to turn out for Democrats, but maybe in 2016 where they think it's going to make a big difference, then they will be. And so if if you look at this and you say, okay, well, it was it's good that it happened. We're glad that it happened. Uh, we don't know what we're going to get from it because of the lame Republicans, but we also can't think, oh, this means that we're going to for sure win a majority in 2016 because at that point, the landscape could change quite a bit. And and If the Republicans show no strength, yes. And that's mm-hmm. the whole fear. And with a Ted Cruz there, again, he'll force them to do things they don't do because they're not leaders. That's the hope that he will do that because they have to make a difference. They have to do something strong. And if they do something strong, they will gain more followers, right. but they have to. But, they but can't he, ride the wave. So the, the lens that I'm looking at this through is I just finished 1984, which is a very sobering look at a totalitarian type government where the stated purpose is they're, they're going to make everybody equal and cure the evils of capitalism. But of course, you don't make anybody equal because you have the inner party and then the outer party and then all the proletarians and, you know all that good stuff. But then I see this article today, and this is from Politico. And the headline is, Elizabeth Warren gets rock star reception at liberal donors confab. I don't even know what confab is. What's a confab? I don't know. So, I don't know. I don't know what confab is, you know, but a gathering of some kind, right? Fabulous communists. A fabulous conference. I don't know. Um, But it says Elizabeth Warren insists she has no intent in running for president in 2016, but the rich liberals to whom she spoke Thursday afternoon seem unwilling to take no for an answer. The Massachusetts senator got a rock star's welcome during a closed door speech to major donors, one of whom interrupted her by yelling, run, Liz, run. She drew multiple multiple standing ovations 
which was held in this uh, talk that she gave in a banquet room at Washington's Mandarin Oriental Hotel. I, I love, you know, they go to these luxurious hotels and then you didn't build that, right? Um, but it was the annual winter meeting of the Democracy Alliance, which is a club of major liberal donors. So basically, they're really excited about her. She could, I mean, I don't know if she could do it. And, and you know, Bosch is saying, no, Amy, you're worrying for nothing because this woman doesn't have the, what would you call it, charisma that Obama arguably had. Well, no, I never, ever, ever said Obama has had, had charisma, but he had something else. He had the, the veneer of youth. She's a senior citizen. You know, she is. She's not a rock star. She has ancient ideas. There's nothing fresh about her. She's not black. Well, she's, an, she's an old white lady. No, but no, but this is this is the thing in here. When when you speak of the the youth vote, she's gonna attract youth kids. Well, I mean, she's saying you didn't build that, and what I—that's I, a lie. This, this is you my beat it. this is my concern. My concern is that she is going to appeal to envy, and she has to be called on it. That's the whole thing. A Ted Cruz would say this is yeah. envy. A Ted Cruz would do <laughs> this that. This is envy. A Ted Cruz would do that. But are we going to nominate a Ted Cruz, and are we going to pit a Ted Cruz against her? I would. Well, what I'm saying, I, you, I would you need, put Ted look, Cruz against you, her in two seconds. But the will last the time, the last time we had an opposites, opposites was Reagan versus Carter. That's the last time we had opposites. The rest was just you know really pretty similar guys, Gore and Bush. It was so tight because they were pretty much pretty much. Very, very similar. And then uh, uh, Mitt Romney and uh, Obama. You got Romney Care versus Obamacare. How different is that? Ultimately, you need if you get a if they get a Elizabeth Warren, you need a Ted Cruz. That's the only clash that'll be worth it, and that's the only one that you can defeat them. You put a Jeb Bush against Elizabeth Warner or against yeah. Uh, so Clinton, so, so imagine, so imagine it well, is over. It is Jeb Bush against. Elizabeth Warren or Elizabeth Warren well, and then, Hillary Clinton. Well, then, you know, there's one thing. Like, the real deal of those two is Elizabeth Warren. They're status, but she's more status. She's more consistent, and she's going to win probably against that. But if she gets the absolute opposite who will call her out, say that you're, you, you didn't build it is an absolute lie, and, and here's why. Your whole appeal is to envy. That's right. disgusting. And explain it and, you know, and, expose And her. envy is exact opposite of American sense of Absolutely. life. But my concern is, so again, if you put together the idea that a little bit over a third of the American people voted in this last election, and so that there's a whole bunch of people out there, we don't know where they stand, and someone like Elizabeth Warren, if they make her look really powerful and she goes out there and appeals to envy and promises a bunch of handouts, boom, 2016, and they don't put Ted Cruz against her, I'm I'm worried about that. Now, is is that just the post 1984 reading, Amy speaking, or what do you think, Debbie? I think that um, I think that it's a really strong function of who the Republicans put up. I mean, I think that's a big component in the voter turnout and why it was so low in this particular midterm because the Republicans are really pissing off their base um, and. It, I guess I don't know if I would consider myself part of their base, but the people who are are more um, insistently opposed to the left or more consistently freedom oriented are getting really angry with them for playing dirty. And like you pointed out, and it's perfect this idea that they're they adopt altruism as a 
strategy rather than as the substance of their policies. Well, right. that's true when they're going up against Democrats, but it is not, they are sharks when they're going up against the establishment is going against someone who's more uh, more consistent, someone like Ted Cruz. So my biggest concern is not really who the left puts up, because I think whoever the left puts up is going to be a, a nightmare. But the question is, will someone decent get the nomination um, in the Republican Party? And I think that's going to make a huge difference in turn of, terms of voter turnout and in terms of the outcome, because we cannot put another... I don't even know what you'd call it. I mean, another non-entity like Romney or McCain. There, that, that, that. Just, we can't do it anymore. Exactly. I don't think we'll allow. I don't think the American people will allow it this time. I just, I just don't think so. I don't think so at all. You know, Mark, Mark Levin is talking about this idea where he's going to get behind someone fairly early in the race and back him up completely, and he expects everyone else to do that. They're not going to be allowed to put a loser in there again. This is unacceptable. You couldn't beat a Barack Obama back to back. No, that's ridiculous. You couldn't do that. And I I think they had their shot, you know, and it's over. And I think they'll be forced to back up someone that they despise, but that the American people vote for. Now, Roman over here in the chat room is talking about Scott Walker. He says Scott Walker can beat both Warren Scott and Scott Walker Clinton. is, is, is uh, good, but he's not as good as Cruz. And also, the old day, uh, we need a governor. Why? Because I'm a governor. That's just stupid, idiotic. Mark Levin rails against this. Washington wasn't governor. Lincoln yeah. wasn't governor. Yeah. Good presidents were well, not governors. And, and here's the other thing. Warren is pulling out in intellectual egalitarian argument a la John Rawls, okay? And Ted Cruz is smart enough to counter it. Again, if you haven't... He's read it. He's if, seen it. Well, and, and again, you know, just to get a sample of what Ted Cruz has to offer in terms of skillful, knowledgeable argument on principle, go check out his one-hour speech where he was railing against Democrats who were trying to amend the First Amendment to the Constitution. They were actually trying to amend the First Amendment. And Cruz is excellent in explaining the connection between speech and the spending of money and spending of money by corporations and speech and the importance of free speech. Excellent. I think he could do similarly. I just don't see Scott Walker making sophisticated arguments, which I think would be required to just wash the floor with somebody like Warren. Plus, I think he'd be too respectful. I think uh, Cruz is a fighter through and through. He's willing to call communists in, in like, college. I think he said most of the, most of the Democrats around him were flat-out communists in school. Right. He doesn't take that back. He doesn't retract that because it's true. It's absolutely true. And these guys, all the guys would not say that. And then also, uh, Scott Walker goes there and says the governor should be president, you know, and, and that's it. And then says, someone says, "How about your 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 uh, your buddy, uh, or, um, Chris Christie? Paul, no, oh. no, Paul Ryan. Well, accept him." I said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" So you make an exception for this congressman because he's your buddy. Just things like that, you know. And he's been a good governor. He's definitely kicked the left's ass, and he's done a good job. But honestly, he doesn't have the to me doesn't have the intellectual weight that is needed against these rats like a Warren. And well, and then, and then if you dismiss the tea party, which you did, if you, you, a- did, if you and actually you dismissed the, uh, the funding, uh, 
strategies that right. Cruz had. I think if you if you dismiss the Tea Party, if you vocally criticize the defunding strategy in any vehement way, then I think you are lacking an American sense of life. I think yeah. you're lacking. I think so too. And I think yeah. I, t- I, I, I would take Kim over Hillary, yes, but that's not where we want to be. We don't right. want to settle for well, he's okay. No. I mean, I would I would vote for him. Certainly. Sure, but yeah. what I'm saying is we got to get the best, and the best right now right. is Ted Cruz. That's 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 yeah. my idea. Uh, I, I am. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm I'm actually seriously concerned about it. And one listener, Pratiki, said that if uh, Warren is elected in 2016 after eight years of Obama, he says he's going back to India. No, but it, it, and I it's said, over. I, I don't blame you. I mean, it's, it, it's if it, and think about this. I mean, again, I, I just finished reading 1984. Imagine a Warren presidency. If we can't have an anti-Obama and after Obama, it's over. But she's even more dangerous, I think, than Obama. I don't know. Why? Maybe she's more sincere. Right. Maybe she's more sincere, whereas he just played this game to get power and whatnot, where she actually believes this crap. Possible. Maybe. Plus, she would have him, he would have sort of knocked down a lot of barriers already for her. You know, he, he's, that's the thing. he's you know done what? a he lot of set, He has set a precedent that is scary because you got power mongers now running for president. you got a Chris Christie who wants what Obama has. He is dying to eat it up. I mean, he really is. He wants his power. He, he does not see himself going to become president and rolling back government. He's going to pile it on, you know, a, a double load, you know. No, but that's what he wants. He wants to go there and become post-Obama president with all the power that implies. Right. And we're going to have a lot of scum running this time, worse scum than, than, than there was before because of the power that they're going to have. And that's why you need, you need a guy like, like, like Cruz who threatens that power in Washington. Yeah, and, and there's just a, a, a massive cesspool in, in the federal bureaucracy, the, the the whole sprawling, you know, like the EPA and the IRS and all the all the alphabet soup agencies, and I think that one big part of what a next president needs to be able to do is to clean out as much of that as possible, because there are a lot of unelected people in all these institutions, and they're in position do a lot of damage even after Obama's gone. And so what we need from the next president is not just that they're refraining from doing more positive damage, nor just that they will uh, support a legislative agenda that's slightly better or that moves us a tiny right. bit in the right direction, but also that they are able to really take on that entrenched, uh, unelected class that's in the federal bureaucracy. And, and, and I think you'd need someone really tough and determined in order to accomplish that. Yeah, I need, agree. You need a radical. You need someone that is, today is, is oh, that, that, he, that's impossible for him to win. That's what you need. And that's Ted Cruz, because people say, people I respect, oh, no, that's not going to happen. That's impossible. That's not impossible. I'm just telling you, who who out there could possibly argue effectively against Warren and her envy baiting except for Cruz? Nobody. And and he wouldn't and necessarily so. even do it 100% perfectly, but no, he would be the best. The best, and that's the whole point. He's not perfect. Mm. He's not. Reagan wasn't. But Reagan was a great president. This guy can be. And again, post-Obama, 
we can't muster up someone good, it is over. Yeah. I think so Cruz gonna... might be better than Maybe. Maybe. Better than Reagan? Oh, yeah, I, mean, I would he's think more so. explicitly, uh, he's more explicitly a fan of Ayn Rand. Reagan did uh, express you know, uh, admiration for Rand, but Cruz has read the books, and he's, he understands a lot better. He, so was, he was on the floor of the Senate recommending Atlas Shrugged to everybody. I mean, who, who does that? He said, one of my all-time heroes, Ayn Rand. I mean, and that's, you know, that's a and he big hasn't, factor he ha- why... And he hasn't taken it back. No, and that's a big Unlike factor Ryan. why... Uh, oh. No, that, that that's a big factor why he ha- why he's in a position to, that he's in. But I just uh, we need something strong, mm-hmm. something like this, or, you know, considered a radical. We need that. So I mean, here's the thing. I mean, again, more than ever, we need to appeal to the American sense of life. We need to let Americans know that in order to defend their view of themselves and themselves in relationship to government to do that effectively, they actually need philosophy. They can't just rely on their emotional reaction. You know, the the outrage against Gruber alone is not going to be enough. No way. It's going to be, why are you outraged? Why is what he says so offensive? And Cruz, why is it bad to have a noble lie? Why is it bad to, can articulate you that. know, push over an egalitarian piece of legislation on the American people? What's so evil about that? I Cruz think he can do it. Can articulate that. Mm-hmm. And Cruz, by the way, is writing a book. Uh, I think as we speak. Excellent. Yeah. So we'll get to see his so we'll have him on power. Guess. No, we'll but, have to have no, him but, on. no, but we'll get to, to see how so. he is in his in his thinking process a little more deeply. Uh, that'll be important to read. I think it'll be important to it'll be a big a big tell, and he'll know that all eyes are on him. You know, it's uh, his name keeps popping up. He is synonymous with the Tea Party. He's Mister Tea Party. He's a Tea Party candidate. Mm-hmm. People in the chat room are starting to ask for recommendations for Rand's writings. And here, here's what I'd say. If you have not read any of the fiction and it is fiction that you prefer, I would start with The Fountainhead. If you prefer nonfiction and you haven't read anything, probably The Virtue of Selfishness or Philosophy Who Needs It, depending on what appeals to you. Any of those books, you can get either through my handy-dandy Amazon link at DontLetItGo.com. Remember, people, you can support this show without any additional cost to yourself if you are already an Amazon shopper. And you can even support this show while also doing Amazon Smile. So, for example, if you also donate to the Ayn Rand Institute or another nonprofit, whatever it may be, through the Smile program, you can still click through on my Amazon link over at DontLetItGo.com. It's at the top right-hand side of the page and donate twice, both to the show and to the nonprofit. So you can do that. The other thing that I've got over there on the page for the program notes for today is I've got a link to 1984. And I'll talk a little bit more about 1984 in a minute. But the other thing you can do is you can get an audio version of any of Rand's works or maybe 1984, whatever you want, through an Audible free trial. Audible is a, an official sponsor of the show here. And there's a link where you can go on my blog over at Don't Let It Go. Or if you just want to go to Audible directly, go to audibletrial.com forward slash Amy Peacock. Just as my name is spelled. So you can check that out. But yeah, I, I would highly recommend either. What would you think of the two nonfiction, Debbie? Would you go Virtue of Selfishness or would you go Philosophy Who Needs It? Uh, well, the order I read them in was First, virtue of selfishness, then philosophy who needs it. 
but my mm-hmm. favorite is philosophy who needs it. So okay. um so it's kinda hard to say. Like I've heard someone say, maybe it was Harry Benzwinger, that but I'm not sure who it was, someone like that, a, a, a an experienced objective would say that they recommend reading Ayn Rand's works in the order that she wrote them because mm. they become more sort of more developed and more complex and nuanced as you go towards the later ones from the earlier ones. And so it's kind of easier for a person to process it uh, if they start with the earlier and work their way towards the later. Um, I don't know if that's true the only thing or not. Suppose, suppose, um, suppose someone comes to the show and they say, I've never read any Ayn Rand before. I'd like to see if I like it and I want to try out some fiction. I would say start with the Fountainhead only because this is when Rand was really, you know, exercising her fully realized powers of fiction writing, whereas some of the earlier stuff she was still, I think, warming up. And um, I would I would start there and then maybe go back and hit We the Living and Anthem and some of the other writings if they want. Sure. But, you know, certainly don't go to Atlas Shrugged right away because I think Fountainhead, if you if you like Atlas Shrugged, you're really going to enjoy the Fountainhead as well. And I would save Atlas Shrugged. Um, Fountainhead first, no doubt about it. Yeah, enjoy Fountainhead first. But yeah, I wouldn't necessarily... Now, I would go earliest to latest for sure in the nonfiction, in terms yes. of the, the published nonfiction collections, because all of those she's writing at the top of her power. She's got her entire philosophy worked out by the time she's doing all that nonfiction writing in the, in the 60s. So it, with that, for sure, I would... Agree, but I, you know, again, I think if if someone says, "Look, I've never tried it before. I want to give it a shot. I want to I want to see if I like her fiction." I would probably start out with the Fountainhead if I had a choice no of what doubt. to recommend to people. And in fact, I, I make this offer routinely, which is that if somebody goes and buys the Fountainhead and reads fifty pages of it, and then you write me through my blog at don'tletitgo.com and you say this is a piece of garbage, I'll buy it from you back. Um, but you know. If, if you just read 50 pages of it, you'll get hooked into it. You may not agree with everything in it, but I think you're going to get hook, hooked into it as a story. That's, a, that's something that you care about. So anyway, that's that's my plug for people who, who ask. Um, but yeah, so what we have to do, Debbie, is we got to figure out how we can continue to tap in and kind of fan the flames of the American sense of life that is certainly alive and well, at least among a substantial minority of people in the United States, but we need to appeal a lot more broadly. And we need to see, for example, because I am I am worried that there is enough envy out there such that a Warren, if she's pitched to the public appropriately, might appeal. And then we're really in deep you-know-what if she gets in in 2016. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there's that book, uh, Capital in the 21st Century, with by a French economist, Thomas Piketty. Have you read that? Or read I have it? not read it. Your own Brooke has read it, and he has some good criticisms of it, from what I understand. Yeah, so I'm gonna have, it's, uh, I'm gonna have to read that thing too. I right? It's it's just dripping with envy. I mean, from the beginning to the end, and he makes really shocking statements towards the end, just in terms of explicitly saying things like, um, we have to eliminate very high salaries, you know, like in the top. I mean, he's just really explicitly, like, the goal is to make it so people can't get that rich. And 
Um, and, and, and the whole thing is just talking about how unequal things are and how the upper, the, the top people, the top earners are just going to accumulate more and more wealth until he has this really ridiculous scenario of, um, well, and, and of course, you know, one of the things that your own book talks about with inequality is one of the reasons that we have, you know, in some cases, very stark wealth inequality right now is because our government has made it so impossible for entrepreneurs to start up and they're dead set on making it even worse. I mean, now with the net neutrality and the taxing of the Internet and stuff, they are going to make it harder and harder for the little guy, so to speak, to do a startup on the Internet because it's such a pile of massive regulations that nobody who doesn't have a full-time, on-call, 24-hour-a-day lawyer could actually start their own business in this country anymore if these Democrats get their way. Also, like Elizabeth Warren, right? she will say things that are considered uh, shocking and, and but strong. Some people, you know, like, hmm, that was strong, and they gravitate towards that. And then Ted Cruz says, abolish the IRS. That's strong. Right. I mean, it really is. It's like, whoa, 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 repeal Obamacare. And he says these things that are good and true and strong. She just says these crazy, untrue things. So you, you, you think it won't go over? I don't think it will. Okay. I, don't, I mean, that explicitness? No. That To be that explicit about envy? and I don't think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, if that works, we are done. No, exactly. Then I mean, we're if, done. If, if she is elected in 2016 and it's not a massive ceiling of an election, or maybe even if it is, Republicans, they don't understand something now. The last two landslides they got was a guy that they despised. And they don't want that again for some reason. I don't know why. After Reagan, the weak Bush senior comes out there, right. kinder, gentler, yeah. read my lips. I mean, gone after and one he, term. You know, gone from some punk in Arkansas. Right. A low life. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is why you need someone strong, you need someone that the establishment despises. I mean, you almost it almost it's almost required because anyone that Mitch, Mitch McConnell and Boehner will like is bad. Right. They're just yeah. bad. Let's let's uh, let's zoom on a little bit because we have some more stories that I want to get to. But I want to say one more thing about 1984 that to me was haunting and, and striking. I mean, besides the fact that there's this total total surveillance, um, one thing that struck me as really interesting was that. Uh, Orwell writes that you can't even have tragedy in your life when a, when there's a lack of privacy. And that was new and interesting to me. The idea that tragedy is something that wouldn't even occur with a lack of privacy. Um, but in terms of maintaining a totalitarian regime, one there's a whole, you know, speech and there's a book, you know, it's supposedly a manual that talks about, you know, how this totalitarian society was built up and, you know, what it's premised on. And of course, it's power for the sake of power. But one of the techniques that they use to keep everybody subjugated is they have continuous warfare, war without end, Mm. so that all of the surplus product of the society would go towards the war effort because they always want to keep everybody just a bit uncomfortable, right? And if you've noticed for the past couple decades, I mean, not past couple decades, but it's almost a decade and a half now. I'm getting really scared about it, right? 9-11, 
9-11-2001. And as far as our presidents are concerned, it's a war without end. They have allowed Iran to probably war, get yeah. nukes. Even John Bolton says that with Iran, we are already at the point of no return, that we are not capable of stopping Iran's nuclear program. It's only like containment and diplomacy or whatever the hell. So basically, politicians on both sides have set us up for, in effect, perpetual war on terror, so to speak. But it's non-war, that's the whole thing. And that's what they say. Well, and that's what they say, right? By the way, so Iran in, said, in, in 1984, there's all these passages about, you know, when war is continuous, it ceases to be war, but really the yes, purpose of it is just to right. keep everybody always kind of in a potential frenzy and to make them willingly suffer the privation. And fearful and willing to give up some rights. And yes, yes, yes. And, and I feel like that's that's By the way, uh, Iran, uh, an Iranian negotiator said, uh, U.S. must bow to our inalienable nuclear rights. Exactly. Inalienable yeah. nuclear rights. Mm, Actually, wow. says you know, he's using those terms, mocking us probably, using our language, you know? Well, and one, one of the stories was ISIS and al-Qaeda reach an accord yeah. in Syria. They got in bed, yeah. But what's new? I mean, that they're, they're, it's perfect. They're perfect for each other. People said, oh, it's Sunni and Shiite. Please. When it comes to us, they're brothers. Right. Yeah, so um, American cell phones targeted in secret U.S. spy program. That was another winner that we had this week. Um, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually glad that more people are reporting these spy programs, but the fact that there are more programs that we still didn't know about is a, is a bit sobering. And then there's this issue of net neutrality and Obama, you know, trying to urge the FCC to classify broadband and internet access as a utility. Obama and Justice Scalia apparently agree on this, that broadband should be considered a utility. Now, if you if you classify it as a utility, I guess that means that they can feasibly tax it up to 16.1% additional tax on your internet access fee. Just because that redefinition. Yeah. And that's wow. the purpose of it. Um, Cruz has been very outspoken, excellent on this issue. And the op-ed that he wrote, which, by the way, good news, published in the Washington Post. The Washington Post oh. published the Cruz op-ed, which I think is a piece of news. Um, he's, the headline is, Regulating the Internet Threatens Entrepreneurial Freedom. And he talks about the fact, you know, first of all, if you do taxes on the Internet, if you have the Internet regulated as a utility um, net neutrality, all these things that they're talking about doing to the internet that it's going to threaten people who want to do startups, just, you know, actually make money the old fashioned American way, achieve, get success. That it's going to threaten that. But he also does speak in the article about the threat to free speech, which, as I said, he's, he's also excellent on. Uh, AT&T, for its part, has decided it's not going to invest in the internet at all until it, they know what Congress is going to do. And I guess that means they're going to wait until after the first of the year yeah. and see if Congress makes any decisions to see what they're going to do about this. But, I mean, well, they're, they're worried. Why, why would you invest if the government's going to make the investment worthless via FCC takeover? Yep. 
Right. Well, I'm glad they made that public. It's almost kind of like a, a mini strike or something. Exactly. Exactly. And this yeah. is this is USA Today. USA Today published the article. USA Today publishes some good stuff They've as well. They've also published uh, some pieces by Cruz as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It says AT&T will halt its investment on broadband internet service expansion until federal rules on open internet are clarified. The latest act of defiance by telecom providers whose profitability could be hampered by possible new regulations. Well, good for so. them fighting it. I'm glad to hear that. That's kind of heartening. Right, right. Um, so the the CEO, Randall Stevenson, says that they're starting these infrastructure pro- uh, projects, but he says, quote, we have to pause. We have to just put a stop on those kind of investments we are doing today. And it's a specific pushback to Obama's public support for reclassing Internet providers as a public utility. So kudos to AT&T. Excellent. Glad to see it. I would like to see the AT&T also kind of push back against the NSA. That would be that would be a nice thing as well. But, um, you know, this idea, that, you know, again, <laughs> coming off of reading 1984, and seeing that they're going after the Internet, that Obama specifically wants to, without any input from Congress, have the FCC start regulating the Internet as a utility. And we already have had these stories where we've seen, for instance, the Federal Elections Commission, the FCC, try to put crimps on free speech, on political speech. Wasn't the FCC having, sent, they sent people to each newsroom yes. to just go sit there and, and try to get, intimidate? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the FCC are no angels, and they are no well, friends that. of free speech. They are leftist bureaucrat yeah. reps. Yes, they are. But you can't say that on this show. That's not that's not objective. We have to call bureaucrats rats. That's right. That's right. Um, so when I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at the possible, you know, basically restriction of speech, the chilling of of speech in our country, and then you combine that with the rock star reception of Elizabeth Warren, the That's, low voter turnout so that this Republican election means nothing. And I just read 1984. My brain is exploding. That's with political leftist rag PR. Rock star. I'm sorry. You look at Elizabeth Warren, you don't think rock star. You, you just don't. No. In terms of the age also, they used, to, they used to mock Reagan. Oh, he's so old. She's a senior citizen. I mean, just please be consistent. If you want to mock someone that old, well, mock her also. It's just pathetic. And there's something about a mean old lady that's just such a turnoff, too. I mean, it's somehow worse. I, I don't know. Plus, to me, plus maybe hundred-year-old ideas. I'm sorry. About if a woman like that than than a man. I mean, there's something somehow less dignified about this this, this nasty old harpy. Just uh, <laughs> saying. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me, but 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 I just have a feeling that that wouldn't have as much as much appeal to the voter, like you were saying, Bosch, especially the right. youthful voters. Absolutely, and we'll <laughs> I mean, she's an appeal. She's sixty-five years old. She has ancient ideas. She can barely speak, and she's just she's not the hottest thing going at all. Her ideas are ancient and tired and used and corrupt. And you get a, a cruise out there, you know. It's not just that. It's not. It's not just that he's younger, but he has his idea. He has a more youthful outlook at America, right? And that I will mean, appeal. I, one of the funniest 
demonstrations of his youthful outlook was when um, he was coming to do some appearances, I guess, in L.A., and some huh. L.A. artists put these <laughs> posters up everywhere. Did you see these? I don't know if you saw these, Debbie. So it was a little mock-up, and it was Cruz's head on some, like, buff, tattooed guy body with a cigarette, with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and, and shirtless, shirtless, right, Hilarious. with these tattoos and everything. And he said something really funny like, well, his wife my looks, wife wishes that I yeah. look like that or something. <laughs> That's funny. And uh, uh, yeah, they they made they made him you know I mean if if you like that kind of look you know in well, any fashion that the tattooed look. Someone wrote I think in the leftist rag something about the fact that he's lost a little weight recently. He looks a little more fighting shape. You know what they're trying to suggest? Mm. That he's running president. And if he is good, get in shape. You know he was a little uh, a little a little too soft there. He was. So get in shape. Okay, so Ted Cruz, because we, we know you're listening to our show, right? That's right. Um, I volu- I'm glad you're working out now because you're a little well, fatty, no, here's, here's the thing. I volunteer, right? I will um, help him train physically, <laughs> and at the same time, I'll run him through his paces on some of the philosophical That's arguments true. that he needs to beat Warren. And I'll and do his campaign egalitarian. I'll draw his campaign posters, right, okay? Right. So we're, we're going we're gonna to help. Yeah. We, we don't have big money to contribute, but... Whatever resources we have, we will. We Look, will he he's the guy. Regardless of whether we agree with him, hundred percent doesn't matter. He out of all those guys, he's the guy. By the way, um, Cruz, go for super slow. Go for super slow yes. and a and a paleo type diet, and you should be fine. You don't have to exercise that much, and then you can save all your time for studying up on those arguments. Way, um, let me let me ask you this question, Debbie, because Pratik here in the chat room is asking. He says, "Why do so many people in Silicon Valley?" support net neutrality? I don't know. Uh, I, I also don't know the answer to that. I don't work at an internet-related company, uh, and right. so I couldn't I tell you. I, I think it's insane, and I think that's a really good question, critique because you'd think that being in such an entrepreneurial environment that Silicon Valley would not be in favor of turning the internet into a public utility. Well, well, net neutrality doesn't necessarily mean turning into a public utility. Because I think think what Obama has in mind is, he says, well, I haven't been able to get the Congress to pass net neutrality. And so what I'm going to do instead is I'll have the FCC classify them as a utility, and then I'll have them regulated as a utility, and then I'll get my net neutrality without ever having to go through legislation. Because he's trying to do everything without going through the House and Senate now. I mean, I think the people in Silicon Valley are naive liberals, right? And because the, you know, tech industry, the entire tech industry has been relatively unregulated compared to all the other industries, they haven't experienced the same crunch. So if they were in banking, for example, and there was an equivalent of net neutrality in banking, they would never support it because they've already experienced the horrible pain of all the stuff that John Allison used to tell me about where they would have this agency telling them to do A and the other agency telling them to do non-A. And they'd say, oh, my God, what do we do? If we do A, then we're going to be violating the rules of those over there. We might go to jail. And if we do non-A, then we're going to be violating the rules of those over there and they're going to you know, fine us. And gosh, you know, what do we do? I guess they flip a coin and they decide whether they do A or not A. And it's it's a horrible, horrible life. And I don't think the Silicon Valley people, it's not been made real to them yet. Now, you you would think 
that they would start sort of feeling the pinch, for example, like Apple under the antitrust and being treated so horribly by that antitrust monitor. But, you know, ideology, again, you know, what, what do people do? They vote their morality, not their pocketbook. And I think they're still altruists at heart, a lot of them. And, and you know, a lot of them are doing well. I guess they can afford to think that way, too. I'm like, oh, well, what do I care if I'm taxed a bit more? You know, companies not quite as profitable, et cetera, et cetera. We're making products for everybody else. It's not for us. Some kind of weird liberal idealism that hasn't been. They just they just need to read 1984 a few times. <laughs> That's probably. We should just send them all 1984, like all the CEOs of these companies. I don't know. One thing. Yes. Oh, you got uh, me convinced that I, I know what book I'm going to buy on Audible next. You know, and here one thing I'll tell you, um, I've been listening also to the Audible and reading the book, you know, back and forth. And the guy who reads the Audible version, excellent, I mean, in terms of an actor and stuff, but there's some words that he pronounces a little differently. So there's a guy who he pronounces it as Sim, but it's spelled S-Y-M-E. So for what it's worth, S-Y-M-E comes out as him for this reader, but otherwise excellent, and he's got a, kind of a of, British accent. In terms yeah. of pronunciation, uh, the guy uh, Gruber, Jonathan Gruber, he was on with uh, Rowan Farrow, whatever his mm-hmm. name is, MSNBC. He said uh, it's more palatable. Palatable. Yes. So that's <laughs> stupid. It's just stupid. Anyway, just but one thing: the critic who wrote that review. First of all, thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time out to you know praise and be critical, but. Uh, I agree about the interrupting. I definitely do. I do it too often, too much. I I listen back sometimes, definitely. But in terms of uh, bringing maybe someone else in, the show to me wouldn't work if it's if it's it's not me and Amy. If, if if there were two Amys, it wouldn't work. If there were two Boshes, it wouldn't work. I think the back and forth, the way we express ourselves, far differently than than the all does works. So uh, thanks for taking time out. And one thing, another, another thing, if if. Uh, if listeners haven't seen my interview on, on Jimmy Glasov, check it out. It's on the Glasov gang. Also, there was a piece in American Thinker that they wrote up on, on the essay. It was a really nice piece. If you want to check it out. Give them the title of that it's, piece. Um, I don't know. You don't remember the title? Grab it. Uh, former Muslim, um, the bells. Uh, sounding the alarm bells? That, former Muslim sounding the alarm. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Debbie, anything, anything else from you before we go? For what yeah, it's yeah. worth, I I agree with you, boss. I think that the show would not be the same without you. So uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah I love I love being on on the show. I love bouncing off. I definitely interrupt Amy too much. I definitely do. I know that. I've been made well aware of that. But uh, in terms of calling rats rats is not objective. That's absolutely objective. They deserve nothing more. No more analysis on them. Rats are rats. Yep. Thank you for calling in, Debbie, and thank you for hanging out so long. Thanks, Debbie. I'm going to go ahead and, and say goodnight. I hope I hope that you'll join us. Night, Debbie. Yeah, okay, we, we are going to cover this one last story that Bosch is showing me right now. We do have it over at don'tletitgo.com as Charles well. Krauthammer. Krauthammer is talking about this executive amnesty that Obama is planning, and he's calling it an impeachable offense. But then he did a follow-up. apparently the follow-up is, absolutely don't impeach him. It's like this. <laughs> and you know why? Because it'll do things, it'll, it'll, it'll make things rise, possibly, who knows.
you have a hardcore criminal, right. right? He's about to kill people. Well, if we arrest him or stop him, he'll kill more. No, you stop him. Right. You exactly. stop him. You impeach him. Exactly. So, yes, we definitely need to have open immigration or way more open immigration than we do now, but this is not the way to do it. And, yeah, they, they should impeach him. We are just about out of time, everyone. Thanks for tuning in this evening. And, Debbie, thanks for calling in. All of you who are participating in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio, we appreciate it. Stuart, Sean, just Jean, Selfishness, Pratique, thank you. And if you want to continue the conversation, go to DontLetItGo.com. Over at DontLetItGo.com, you can leave comments on today's show. You can read all the program notes that I have laid out of the stories that we've discussed. And, of course, you can contribute to the show either by leaving a contribution. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.